Welcome to Grow Your Dental Practice Podcast. I'm your host, Mohamed Ismail. I'm a cloud accounting expert and a business advisor to dental and medical professionals. My firm, Shift Accounting, has helped our clients reach their financial goals. We are absolutely passionate about the dental industry, so we created the Grow Your Dental Practice Podcast, provide you with valuable resources and help you grow your dental practice. I interview experts in the industry, extract all the wonderful knowledge they have, and give it to you, our wonderful listeners. Hello, podcast listeners. It is the end of 2020. I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy. I have a special guest today, Vic Jindal, president of Jindal Financial Group and CEO of Dentistry Disrupted. Has been in practice for over 25 years. His focus is on practice management, startups, tax planning, wealth and risk for dental professionals across Canada. As a dental industry influencer, with a large North America and international social media followers, he has been interviewed and authored timely commentary for well-known professional organizations. Vic has helped build and buy over 800 offices in his career, advised on optimal practice structure, branding, marketing for growth, gentle financial, dentistry disrupted, has grown to become the leading dental advisory firm in Canada. They continue to partner with thousands of thousands of dental professionals to assist in optimizing best strategies for growth using proactive approach to the business of dentistry in an, in this ever evolving and rapidly changing profession. Vic, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Mohammed. Such a pleasure to be here and uh, enjoying your podcast today. Thank you. Vic, there's so much I want to talk to you about. There's so much we want to cover today. You know, one thing I want to mention that I really admire about you is you go out of your way to help your clients and other people. And I, and I want to reference, you know, one conversation we had with a mutual client who, you know, after, you know, kind of finishing the tax planning part and, you know, all the things that you were commenting and this dentist specifically asked about, you know, what is the best practice management software? And you went out of your way to provide him the pros and cons and connecting that person to which software he has to use. And I, and I really admire the ability for you to connect people and go out of your scope to really help people. So I, that's something I really admire. Thank you. I feel like you and I are in, in such a unique, trusted position where it's our duty to help those that are coming to us seeking advice and assistance. So after uh, hanging around dentists for the last two and a half decades, I feel like our greatest wish now is to kind of help move people forward and uh, get them where their goals and expectations and wishes want to take them. That, that's, that's awesome. So Vic, I want to take you back to the death of dentistry webinar that you did back in April. Yes. You know, I attended that webinar. I mean, during that time, many offices were under a lockdown across Canada. The stock market did not fully recover from the February dip. There was a lot of fear and uncertainty. And your message was simple. Dentistry is not going anywhere. And you had a lot of reference and data points from prior events. So now that we are out of the dark for now, 
Looking back, what did you learn from the COVID experience? That's a great question, Mohammed. I mean, really, when we talked about is this the death of dentistry, we wanted to kind of bring, as you said, real data points to the table to say, listen, dentistry is a unique profession. And also, if we talk about the business side, it's a unique business that it's extremely resilient and in many respects, extremely recession proof. And of course, you know, back when the pandemic was in full gear, all the colleges had, of course, forced shut down all these, all of our dental offices across the country. We're dealing with 15,000 offices and all the clinical staff, professional staff, and all the ancillary businesses that support dental, all literally being cut and shut down. And our message then, which was our best estimation and indication of how it was going to be, is that all these patients that aren't seeing you in that window of time, they're waiting and they're going to come back. And when Alberta and Ontario and all the other provinces reopened, we know exactly what happened. There were waiting lists. People Mm -hmm. couldn't get back in to see their dentist fast enough. But something even bigger happened. It wasn't just the backlog and the buildup of hygiene and restorative. People took new interest and new thoughts on doing complex dentistry. We saw, you know, implantology, we saw orthodontics, Invisalign clear aligners, and all these other companies that provide aligner solutions. All of these things manifested into rapid, massive want, need, please book me yesterday. And what we ended up having is just almost a labor shortage in dental at that point in time, where we just didn't have enough dentists to support the volume. So uh, certainly, was it the death? Absolutely not. We're dealing with actually a rapid increase and shift in growth. So amazing time. And as we look forward here now, we're extremely, extremely optimistic about still where we go from here. Even if we get another full wave, which we might, of course, the U.S., of course, you know, today hit another 100,000 new reported cases of COVID. And we're dealing, obviously, with a very closely contested U.S. election and and the political, the economic and healthcare ramifications of all of these things is yet to be seen in the coming days, weeks, months, and even years. But one thing is for sure, dentistry is just plugging along and moving forward progressively. Nothing is slowing it down. You know, Vic, again, looking back at your webinar that you did in April, you had a very reassuring messages but you know when people you, you're you're in the thick of it there's just a lot of uncertainty you, you know you have fog over your judgment you know how i mean as as, we, as we're recording now you know the uk germany france they all went into their second shutdown right? right what would be your advice for a dentist that's trying to make decisions now and thinking about are we going into an, another shutdown you know, should I expand? Should I hold? How do you make decisions under uncertain conditions? It's a great question. You know, Mohammed, one of probably the biggest questions of the day is exactly that, especially when we have associates, for example, that are looking to purchase their first practice. You've got the investor dentist models that are looking to now go to practice number two, three, five, ten, twenty, how this is affecting the DSOs and their growth strategies. So you know, ultimately, all decisions should start with, you know, as Simon Sinek always says, is what's your why? And what is your 
mid and long-term vision for why you're going to do what you're going to do. And then let's work backwards from there. See, you're right. In the short term, it's, it's very murky right now. We don't have clarity and clear thought over, did we get another shutdown and how's this economically going to look in the short term? So if somebody's trying to make a fairly significant financial decision right now, and let's say that's, again, a multi-million dollar acquisition or a million dollar plus startup, you have to look at your cash flow analysis. Planning is such the cornerstone of how you make a decision like this to say, hey, what's my worst case scenario? If I borrow this money or invest this capital, grow it, and I have to ride out, let's say, another three months of shutdown, can I do it? And if the answer is yes, proceed forward cautiously. If the answer is I would drown, well, we know the answer, obviously. But it's so critical to do proper cash flow analysis and projections, plugging in all that you, one person wants to build out and do before putting pen to paper. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I'm sure you've seen now the banks are actually requiring quarterly reporting from startups and people who have, yes. you know, big loans, I guess. So you can see that there is a little bit more tightening in the market to make sure that people can afford to take these ventures, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I typically tell people like you need to have at least three months of overhead saved, right? So to be able to run the business, right? right. Now, with, with that formula you think is applicable now, you know, what would you tell people in terms of, you know, how much savings should they have in their clinic, I guess, to make sure that they can operate? Your math is bang on. So we're always saying you should have a minimum reserve of cash or available line of credit to get you through between three and six months of operation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, three would be the minimum, six would be even more comfortable. Again, historically, over all measurable time periods over the last 100 years, even, we feel that, you know, your, your formula of three months would be sufficient and six is even better. But it's, if somebody said, hey, I need to have two years or three years of reserve, dentistry is just not that prone to having negative cash flow right now. Right. So, Vic, the short term is murky. Right. Yes. People need to, you know, do the due diligence before, you know, taking on, you know, big commitment. Right. Mm -hmm. But you also mentioned there was a lot of opportunity. And I mean, we, we've seen that as well. When offices opened, some offices did their best month ever. Right. Yes. And you can say that, OK, this was the pent up demand, good systems. Right. In your opinion, you know, is this sustainable? Where is the new demand coming from and what, what are the opportunities that you see? It's a great question. I mean, what that shutdown did for those people who embraced it is it gave them an opportunity to really look at their numbers, look at their practice, look at their mission, vision, and retool in many cases. And we saw practices in that down period absolutely do the things, planning for the emergence and the reopening and thriving in it. So examples are never had you seen before really <laughs> COVID time, virtual consults. Mm. <laughs> like what a shift. Who could even imagine that you could move dentistry virtually of all the professions in the world? <laughs> right, and, right. And yet here we are, you know, like, uh, you know, in many aspects, so many of our, you know, clients throughout the country and across North America even have adopted a virtual consult model. You've had now 
the adoption of new technology where people are plugging in digital smile design and milling units and home beam technology and taking those next steps to say, can I deliver digital dentistry or move my practice towards digital dentistry in an efficient manner that's safe, financially makes sense, the net treatment plan to the patient is an even better product than before. Technology has moved us. I mean, here we are now, like prior to 2020, I mean, how many people had ever heard of, let alone used a Zoom platform? And yet millions of children across you know, the world are using Zoom now for learning. And continuing dental education has shifted this way. Like all of these things have given the people and the practices the ability to now grow in a way that they never could have done it before. And social media is a huge mover inside this. The ability to now connect directly with patients, to use the power of Google and search engine optimization, to use websites and branding and marketing to tell stories. And the future of much dental storytelling is going to come through avenues like YouTube, where you have like just looking at right now Gen Y and Gen Z. I mean, this generation is consuming over two hours per day of YouTube content daily and connected to the internet for over 10 hours daily. And 92% of that cohort has a digital footprint. And you and I know this, Mohammed, that of the 15,000 dental practices in this country, so many of these practices are just so not plugged into the digital side of connecting with these generations. So that, there lies the opportunity. It's just right there. Absolutely. You know, Vic, obviously you mentioned a lot of changes that happened in the industry, how the industry was kind of disrupted, you know, through COVID. Why don't you take me back a little bit in time and tell me about, you know, the major disruption that happened in this industry and how do you foresee, let's say the next three years or five years? Sure. So, I mean, let's go back now, maybe. Let's take it back to the last time we had a, a major economic crisis in 2009, what we called the Great Recession. And back in 2009, of course, we had the collapse of the U.S. housing market. Financial pillars started to collapse. Stock markets hemorrhaged. Housing markets got destroyed. I mean, you really had an extremely, extremely quicksand approach to how badly the economy went after a fairly long rise of growth. And if we look at that moment, what people did is they either soldiered on or they, of course, expanded. You had few people exit dentistry back in, in that very, very down market. People still hung on. What's happened in that decade to follow? Practice values doubled since 2009. You had the emergence of the startup model greatly multiplied because, of course, the severe shortage of practices to acquire. You had banks increase their appetite to want to finance. You had premium financing, bidding wars. We were involved in a transaction not long ago, just pre-COVID, where 56 bids were in on a practice. And it went far above an appraisal price. And that's the appetite of the market today. And when you're borrowing money in today's world, at, in many cases, prime minus a quarter, and as of the time of this recording, that's about 2.2%. Well, if you're borrowing a million bucks and it's costing $22,000 of interest, the appetite is fairly large then to monetize and grow in this environment where, again, 
I look at the past and I think about the present and then we look at the future. The opportunity to, to scale and grow is much bigger now than what it was in the past. The Canadian Dental Association just released their number. And we today now, for this population of just over 35 million Canadians, we have 24,150 licensed practitioners in Canada. And if we break down that on a populist basis, looking at it from, you know, our two, let's call it saturated markets of British Columbia and Ontario, we still have about, you know, at this point in time, 1,600 patients per practitioner, if you really divided it all out. And most practitioners need about 1,600 patients to be busy in a four and a half, five day a week office. Right. So do we have a oversaturation of dentists? I'm going to suggest to you we don't. What we have is a high concentration of dentists, specifically in Ontario and in BC, where of this 24,150 dentists nationally, we've got 12,150 of them in Ontario. And if we look, we concentrate that back to just the greater Toronto area, the GTA region, 9,600 of the 12,000 are just right there in that region. Hmm. But yet there's success everywhere you turn from, you know, one coast to the other and city by city. So it's how you envision it and how you grow. But I still will say the opportunity from here and where we go forward is actually much bigger. You know, Victor, as you're telling me about, you know, what's going on in Ontario, I Mm -hmm. actually, you know, in Alberta, I think, you know, we had a really good run. I mean, we still continue to have a good run. But as I'm talking to dentists, there's a lot of fear and uncertainty because, just around me here, it seems that every plaza now has a dentist or two, actually, right? Yes. Which is something that we're not used to uh, seeing in Alberta, right? right? And now when you put the stats, you know, of Ontario, like Alberta is still a great place to be. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, it's funny. Like, if I look at northern Alberta as an example, right? Like, we are always short. Our practitioners are crying for more associates in places like Northern Alberta. Of course, there's more saturation in Calgary and Edmonton, but Alberta is still one of the very sought-after spots right now for associates to, to gravitate towards. And uh, it's true. There are more and more dentists on in every plaza. There's parts of GTA where you'll literally have four corners and you'll see on each corner, you know, two dentists per corner. There's one intersection actually in uh, in Toronto where I counted 17 dentists all within 90 seconds walk of each other. Wow. <laughs> 17 dentists. And you could literally walk to each other's office. It was that many in this particular part of GTA. <laughs> right, right. And, and, and I, I mean, every one of them will bring his or, or her flavor, personality, and all that stuff. So let's, let's, let's go back to, you know, so from, from 2009 to now, mm-hmm. obviously practices quadrupled in value, I would say, yeah. right? Yeah. It seems that demand still continue to grow. Mm-hmm. How do you see the next three to five years? We still feel, even if you look at the, the current demographics right now, of the median age of a dentist. So today that median age right now is 51 years of age, if we take the median. So even though we have an aging overall demographic population in Canada, in fact, the fastest growing age group amongst all age groups is the age 65 plus age group. So we are getting older across North America. That being said, 
there's been a fundamental shift now with in very positive ways of you know so many people now shifting towards that model of again saying it's time for me to do a practice startup or or a growth of acquisition here's the challenge because that median age is still 51 years of age we don't still see this mass exodus of retiring dentists you have not seen it in the past we still don't expect to see it going forward so they'll still continue to be supply problems if somebody wants to buy a pre-existing established practice. And now what you're also seeing is you're seeing even bidding wars for startup locations across this country where it's getting harder to, again, acquire strategic spots in growth areas because, again, the appetite is strong. Hmm. Is the issue a real estate issue or is it just not available practitioners? I would say it's a combination of both. Now, if we go to real estate, so if we're looking at renting, leasing versus purchasing real estate commercially, Mm -hmm. if we're looking at, let's say we want the traditional model of 2,000 square feet, main floor, parking, zoning, visibility, all of those things on a busy intersection, these are very hard commodities just to locate anywhere in Canada. Mm -hmm. Very, very tough. Because as soon as the developer has that land in hand, the first phone call to the developer is a dentist, actually. Right? <laughs> Every time, it's always right. a dentist saying, I see you have land here. I'd like to have two or 3,000 square feet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the landlord's trying to focus in on getting a major uh, you know, food retailer taking 100,000 square feet, but that dentist is right in line there. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so it is challenging now to find great strategic locations, especially in major metropolitan cities. Now, that being said, you know, there's still tons of great spots and there is demographic analysis that can be done to say, hey, this is where I choose to live, the city, this province, wherever it may be. And it's very easy now with the power of again tech and Google Maps and demographic analysis to to hone in and find great locations that are very underserviced, that are up and coming to build a great practice. So, you know, it's easier now to find the great locations as far as figure out where to go. The challenge is, again, acquiring the land and or the lease to be able to open it. Right. So, Vic, I'm going to ask you a question, but, you know, every situation is, is different and it needs to be analyzed. So, for example, somebody who is just starting out their career, right? Mm-hmm. What would be a good path, you know, as somebody who's just starting their career? As yeah, a absolutely. You know, the general trend I've seen, I, I work with a lot of young dental students, you know, amongst all 10 of the Canadian dental schools and a number of the U.S., in Australia, Ireland, around the world. And I'll tell you, the pattern that we see is that From when a dentist graduates, assuming that they're going to stay in GP world, they typically have an appetite to buy or build a practice typically between 24 and 48 months from the day they graduate. And that it starts usually around month 25 and the appetite just increases at month 36. And by the end of month 48, year four, many of them badly wish to, again, have an acquisition or a startup. So the key is in that first two or three or four years of somebody's career, wherever possible, we highly encourage, if you're going to be an associate, which we love, 
try and find and align yourself with a mentor relationship that aligns with your clinical values, that aligns with the type of dentistry you'd like to do for your career. Continue to focus in on all this amazing CE that is available to you from all these world-class institutions, both in Canada and the United States. The adoption now of hands-on live surgeries, training, clinical case presentation, all of these things are here to, again, elevate. So that first two or three years can set the foundation and you mm-hmm. learn how to run a practice, how to communicate with those patients, how to clinically expand your skills so that you can become a better practice owner and or even better partner as you go through your career. I love it. So now let's kind of move in the timeline a little bit. Let's say some, you know, for startup clinics, what would be mm-hmm. your advice? You know, it's not enough now, of course, in today's world, just to open the doors and put a sign out and, and hope for patients to walk in. You know, it might sound scary, Mohammed, but when we look at the statistics, amongst the 15,000 offices across Canada, the average number of new patients in a practice, again, I'm using the median average here, we're looking at five new patients a month. You can imagine if somebody has taken the time, effort, and capital investment, and I'm going to pick a number, a million bucks, mm. and they're renting, and their rent, as you know, might be five to $12,000 a month, and then a staff member, and sundries, and on and on. Any staff... Any startup, I should say, is going to bleed day one. It has to bleed. But the key in all of that is, again, what kind of plan do we have in place to market grow strategically? Because I can tell you there are optimized practices in this country that are not doing five or 10 or 20 new patients a month. They're doing in excess of 100 new patients a month consistently. So how do you do five versus 100? It's, again, plugging in all the recipe for success. And and it's a formula. You know, if we take big brands like McDonald's and Starbucks and Walmarts and Costco's, and we can go on and on and on. All of these great organizations are using the formula. It's a guidebook. It's much of what you do, frankly speaking, is you help all of your clients across the country with key performance indicators. This is how you're doing month by month by month by month. And so many practices don't look at those numbers enough until maybe spending five to 15 minutes at a year in meeting, if at all. Absolutely. You know, we, we see that all the time. You know, I, I feel, you know, there's a million things that the dentists need to do to be successful, like, you know, from yeah. school, from location, from building a team and, and, and whatnot. But looking at the metrics and not only looking at the metrics, actually doing something about them, right, right. Is, right. is where the needle will tip, right? We, we, you know, we see clients who you give them everything under the sun, right? You show them the metrics, but if there's no action that is taken, nothing mm-hmm. changes. But you see other people who will take the initiative, you know, take the extra steps to really improve, right? Now I'm going to also move back in the, you know, or move forward in the timeline. Sure. Let's say somebody at, you know, close to the age of retirement Sell, hold, expand, double down. What would be <laughs> Great question. When preparing, sometimes what happens is, and of course, you know, death and disability, notwithstanding, because those are events that, again, we should still plan for, but sometimes move the needle very quickly to to selling a practice or or expanding a practice. But wherever possible, the last thing that somebody should be doing as they get towards the finish line of their practice career 
is to just wake up one morning and say, okay, it's time for me to sell. Thought has to be put in to prepare a practice for a transition to optimize A, your saleable value, find the correct party or parties basically to transition with, to look after your team members, your patients in a way that you've built all these trusted relationships in many of these cases for 30 years. And it's not enough just to say, well, it went to the highest bidder. If that's the choice, so be it. But most practice owners today are looking for the best fit for them. So we usually say, if you have the ability to give yourself two years of pre-prep and really think about your personal and financial and practice plan, but that two-year window is really optimal to be able to maximize the saleable value, the very stress-free way of getting the right parties in place and having a smooth transition. Right. And for many people now, what they've done, of course, as we've seen this for years, is they say, look, I still love dentistry, but I don't love dentistry practice five days a week and the management of a practice seven days a week. So I'd like to now bring in a person or an organization to partner with or sell to where they can help take all that day-to-day compliance burden off me. Mm. And I can come in and work three days a week and take my eight or 10 weeks of vacation and go cottaging and create a lifestyle where they don't have to leave clinical practice, but they can still enjoy all the things that they still love doing. And for the the new purchaser of that practice or the organization that's partnered, what an amazing continuity of care to know that that practitioner is still there for support, for transition, for advice. So wherever possible, two years would be ideal. Nice. I like that. So, you know, Vic, um, um, you know, obviously you mentioned, you know, before starting out, you, you need to understand the values that you have or the yeah. goal or call it the dream, right? Yes. You know, at the end of the day, yeah, everybody needs to get paid. Everybody needs to live the life that, you know, they want to achieve and become financially free or have financial freedom, right? Mm-hmm. How, how do we achieve that? Like, what, what are the tips, the tools you know, to achieve that financial freedom? It's a great question. You know, growing up as a kid, we grew up very modestly. And I remember uh, growing up as a kid, one of my good friends, his dad was a physician and his mom was a dentist, or are still a physician and dentist, I should say. They've now retired. And I remember sitting at my friend's home. And this is, again, going back into the 80s, where beautiful home and an in-ground pool, and there was a there was two luxury cars in the, in the driveway. And I thought, you know, you're kids. So you just ask the question, you know, how much money do your parents make to afford this luxurious rock star lifestyle? And at that time, the number was for his mom and his dad, they were each making, you know, over $100,000, you know, in the 80s, which when you say that to anybody, even today in the year 2020, it's still a very large number when you think about how hard it is to make $100,000 of entry point. Mm. Here's what the interesting challenge is, and I never would have believed you if we had this conversation 26 years ago, 20 years ago, but I'll believe you today. What dentists have, for the most part, I'm going to make a general statement here, is they have a phenomenon that happens to them called the new level of poor. And that's the title of my book, if I can ever get down to writing it, (laughs) because it's going to be the journey of spending 26 years with people that make, in many cases, not a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, but a million dollars, two million dollars, not of gross, but of net income and still feeling broke. 
Right. Not feeling cash flowing on that. Mm. And so what's the secret to retirement, basically? Well, of course, yeah, it's it's true. You need a plan. You need to know how much money you need to spend at the point in time you want to have. And are we talking about Bentleys and Bugattis and private jets, Michael Appa style? Or are we talking about a simpler retirement and mm. living in a way that makes one happy? So the numbers can be wide, but I will tell you that the key to financial freedom is, again, you know, sounds pretty boring. It's control your expenses, save up for the future. Don't take big bets on your investments. Like, you know, create investments, whether they be through stocks, bonds, and ETFs and funds to uh, practice equity and building equity and home equity and, and real estate equity. I mean, there's so many different pots one can create wealth in. But a diversified sound portfolio that's built around passive income that's sustainable through economic cycles, that's what everybody is aspiring to. But it has to fit with your lifestyle spend because, again, income is not the problem for the vast majority of your and my clients. Right. It's the spend is the problem. You brought a really good thought to my head, which is, you know, the idea of enough, right? And I feel that as there's an inflation of lifestyle that happens, right? Yes. If people make a hundred thousand, they they would spend it, and you know, if they make two hundred thousand, they would spend it. If they make a million dollars, <laughs> they would spend it, <laughs> right? And I feel that you know, just looking at the experience that I see in COVID, you know, people who are you know had a financial plan or have a financial plan, you know, not over leveraged, right? And as, as yeah. you said, taking big bets in. Yeah you know, their clinic, their investment portfolio, whatever it is, right? Yeah. I feel they they were a little bit in peace, right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> You're <know>. totally right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's exactly right. Uh, you, you know, versus the others who, you know, over leveraged, you know, they're having a call with the bank every single day. Yeah. What's your advice for people to reconcile with this? Yeah. Sometimes it's almost a deep dive intervention. Intervention. You know what's funny? When I ask a lot of our new clients, when they come aboard to us from a planning perspective, professionally and personally, and we're always looking at it almost, I call it a financial autopsy. Show me everything. Let's talk about everything in their life. Do you know how interesting it is, Mohammed? when I ask people one very basic question, what's your spend rate or your burn rate of cash every month? Meaning how much money do you need after tax? to pay your bills and just get through life every month. It is shocking <laughs> at how many people have no concept of how much they spend in a month. And in fact, I'm going to tell you most of the time, if they just guess on the fly, mm. they guess about half of what it actually is. <laughs> and when you break down the visa and the mortgage and the car lease and hypothetically kids going to private school and Louis Vuitton and Prada and everything else in between. <laughs> and you're like, wow, you know, you need, and I'm going to, I mean, I have clients who do it legitimately just to get through the month, to get through 30 days without bankruptcy, need $34,000 every 30 days to get through the month. It's about a thousand bucks a day of net after-tax spent per day. Wow. <laughs> But when you ask those people, and I'm giving you some extreme examples here, you know, their number is like, 
I think I need 15,000. <laughs> and I'm still like, that's still a crazy number for most Canadians. Right? <laughs> so it starts with actually mapping down with a basic pen or pencil and a line rule piece of paper, nothing fancy. What do I spend every month? <laughs> you know, Vic, this is $34,000 is, is absolutely a lot of, of money. But I, I feel like if that's, somebody what they need that money fine you know put it into the plan make sure you know your clinic is able to generate that consistently you know put all the pieces together and say yeah i'm I'm, i I need to enjoy my thirty four thousand dollars salary every month (laughs) right that's net my friend (laughs) (laughs) we're talking 68 grand (laughs) pre-tax right you you know as long as it's in the plan right Fine. You, you, you know the, the the challenge is when it's not in the plan. That's right. That's right. No, these are these are all life choices, of course, and and it's very easy because, of course, you know, dentistry, you know, specifically, is in this beautiful place where you can scale, grow, and create large amounts of free cash flow. But going back to a comment you had earlier is like, how much is enough? And that's really the big question. You know, what what makes you happy? One of the other interesting things that I've, I've seen over these decades, and it's a very common thing, you know, one of my very close friends who is a dentist, he again grew up very, very modestly. And over time, you know, he acquired luxury homes and very luxury cars and grew and expanded into multi-practice and all of these things. And it's interesting when he and I chat quite regularly about how the thought that the material acquisition of all of these extremely high-priced things was going to add to incremental levels of happiness. And what the reality has been, not just in this situation, but I'm going to say widely for almost anybody on the planet, when you ask them that question, are you happier for all the material acquisition you have? The overwhelming response will be no. The fun was in the chase and in the game to acquire, read, research, shop, grow, build, expand. But then it's a funny place. When you have all these things in your life, Mm. you value the simplicity of what it used to be like way back at the beginning when life was simpler and goals were lofty. But again, there was a different purpose. So uh, funny how sometimes we're chasing the wrong thing. Absolutely. Vic, you know, obviously, you know, for financial freedom, value of, you know, time and money is mm-hmm. is really the equation, right? Yes. Let's say, you know, if, if we look at the stock market today, mm-hmm. not that I'm following the stock market today, but let's say it's overpriced today. Right. You, you know what I mean? So how do you build that into the plan and tell people, okay, you know what, we need to start investment or savings or whatever it is today. So 20 years from now, this is all taken care of. Agreed. You know, in every cycle, whether it's the real estate cycle, the stock market cycle, I mean, we can go on and on with so many business cycles. They call it a cycle because it's exactly that. You have you have a flat period, a growth period, you have a plateau, you have a decline, and then you repeat the cycle again. And when we look at opportunity today, we're dealing in extremes. Without getting to specific stock names and so forth, there are companies right now as part of, you know, let's call them the the tech wonder stocks right now Mm. that are trading at 
price to earnings multiples that are obscene. Like the way I equate it is to almost in some cases, Mohammed and Vic walk into a casino and they take all of their life savings that they've so diligently put away year after year after year. And they walk up to the first slot machine that they see. And they put everything they have in that slot machine because at the top of the slot machine, there's a flashing, you could win $20 million as the grand jackpot. <laughs> and that is the investment strategy <laughs> that some people are actually using today. <laughs> Versus, you know, taking a different approach saying, hey, there's a whole bunch of other great opportunities, whether it be the stock market, the real estate market, practice market, you know, all these other things where you're like, I see that everybody is doing this, but if I did this over here, my probability of success is significantly higher. My rate of return could be much, much better, and I can do it in a much more controlled, manageable, reduced risk manner. So when people say, isn't a practice startup high risk? My answer to that is, if you ask somebody who's good at it, they're going to tell you it's the lowest risk, highest rate of return they could ever get on this planet. Mm. Once you learn the formula, what could be better than that? If you do an acquisition at the right price in the right location, doing all the right patient-focused centered treatment planning, no matter what you spend on it, if the math works and the practitioner is focused on doing great dentistry, that's a sure thing. We're not right. betting on a pony on a horse race. We're betting on sure things here. So, yeah, in this marketplace, you have to be diligent enough to not follow the herd, but but be discipline to find value not momentum i love it i feel like you know uh, we live in a society where we can't wait right we want exactly. you know, rewards today not 20 years from now and it's mm. sometimes it's very hard to envision 20 years right we, we it's very hard you know to imagine that vic as we wrapping up here and i'm listening to what you're saying you know there's so many golden nuggets i would say that you mentioned throughout this episode tell me one golden rule that you live by and whether it's personally or professionally that you feel that it's moving you personally along in 2020 thank you it's a great question and ultimately it's always my mindset is always around how can each of us pay it forward? Like, what can we do every day to benefit somebody else and not worry about ourselves? And that starts with your partner, your neighbor, your spouse, your child, your colleague, your staff, your professors, your teachers, your friends, your patients, everybody in your world. If we all took just this mindset of what can I do to help somebody else today with absolutely no expectation of anything back, financially, love, anything else, nothing else. We're just trying every day to take an act of paying it forward. It's going to multiply everybody's personal, professional, and financial success by 100. I promise you that that is actually the secret. Simple as that. I love it. You know, uh, <laughs> this is really amazing because I do feel that even, you know, yeah, 2020 was a hard year. Lots of things happened. I still feel like we're living in a, a very blessed place, society, where, look, nobody's in the street. We all have shelter. 
we're all doing okay, right? And I feel that needs to be, you know, shared and passed to less fortunate people, right? A hundred percent. You know, Vic, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, say hi, follow you, what would be the best place that you want to direct them? Fantastic. Absolutely. Well, you can always find me. I'm really active on social media. So for those of you that are tuning in that are on Instagram, you can find me at Vic Jindal. That's V-I-C-J-I-N-D-A-L. That's where you'll find me on Instagram. If you're on LinkedIn, you can find me at Vic Space Jindal. You'll find me there. If for those of you that uh, would wish to check out our YouTube channel, it's called Dentistry Disrupted on YouTube, and you'll find a whole host of content and videos and some of Canada's rock star dentists sharing their thoughts clinically and, and professionally on disrupting dental uh, the way that each of them do. And uh, you can always email us, vic at jindalfinancial.com. And always happy to connect with everybody. This world that, Mohammed, you and I are in, this is a very small little club here in Canada. And you're right, we are very blessed to be a part of the dental industry, this great profession, and the outlook is strong. We're, you know, here's to 2021 now, <laughs> get through this <laughs> tough year, <laughs> here's to uh, continued success and growth as we, uh, as we approach uh, the new year. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Vic, for your time. Absolutely, my friend. Appreciate being a guest here today and continued success, my friend. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us today on Grow Your Dental Practice podcast. I would like to thank our corporate partner, Zero, a beautiful accounting software. If you'd like to know more information or just want to say hi, visit our website, Shift Accounting. That is shiftact.com. Or you can reach me directly at Mohammed, M-O-H-A-M-E-D, at shiftact.com.